Amen and amen. And again, how the Holy Spirit works. Many of the songs, think back, worship songs we sang today, are, I was going, well, that's in the sermon. Oh, that's in the sermon. So praise God. Amen. All right, this morning we're going to continue in the Lord's Sermon on the Mount. But before we do, um, I just want to do a quick review of last week because one of the themes of last week actually segues into this morning's message. Just like the Lord that he builds on his own teaching, huh? So uh, it's good. If you recall from last week, we discussed acts of righteousness, right, that were essential to, the re- to religious Jews. And they were almsgiving, praying, fasting. They were considered acts of righteousness and was part of their religious activities. But listen, when we go into this, we also said it wasn't just these things that Jesus spoke to, but all acts of righteousness that we do. So when he talked about these three, he was really talking about all acts of righteousness. And the key point within these verses that we studied is that whenever and whatever we do that could be considered an act of righteousness, right? We need to do with the right motive. We need to do them as unto the Lord, for his glory and for his honor. Amen? We should never carry out these practices, right, with... with wrong motives in our heart. It shouldn't be done to elevate our own piety, our own self, sense of righteousness, or to get the accolades of other. What we do, when we do for others, is so that he gets the glory and honor, right? And that others are blessed. But we should not touch his glory. And for, uh, as the Lord said, if the motive is to receive glory and honor unto ourselves, we've already received it on this side of eternity by the praises of men, and there'll be no gift available or no reward from our Heavenly Father because we did it with the wrong motive, to lift up self and not God. And if you remember when we, uh, the Lord discussed the error of prayer in Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15, we cl- quickly looked at what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And we summed it up by saying there were six petitions. Three petitions had to do with the Lord, and three petitions had to do with us. And the second petition concerning the Lord was, Thy kingdom come. And one of the points that I stress was and is that as Christians, we are earthly minded. And it's this theme, if you will, that will be the essence of today's sermon. And I've titled it this, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's actually a portion of the main text we'll be looking at this morning. Family, very simply, if we evaluated our lives and looked at what, or better said, who we treasure, it's a very good indicator of where our hearts are. If we look at what or who we treasure, it can be a very good indicator of where our hearts are. Are our hearts bent on the world, or are they bent on the Lord? So we could really break this sermon down into three main points, but as, as I looked at this, these three main points kind of intersect almost like a Venn diagram. Remember in math class, the Venn diagrams? Or for some of you guys from Valentine, the three circles? All right? But um, the first is this, a contrast between two types of riches. The second would be a warning about two types of hearts. And the third is between two different masters. So with that said, open up to Matthew 6, and we'll be looking at verses 19 to 24 this morning. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24. And let's begin with 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Family, I believe 
when the motivations and emphasis of man turned away from God and turned to self, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The influence of these three root causes of sin would nap behind humankind. No longer would they be God-focused, but now they're going to be self-focused on our own desires, our own lusts, our own pleasures. Look at the world today. People are driven by materialism, power, and wealth, especially here in the United States. It's probably the most affluent country on the face of this earth. And we are bombarded every day by over a thousand advertisements that are looking to draw us in, in the lust of the eyes, the lust, thank you, Teresa, and the lust of the flesh. Amen? So we're driven, we're driven. And look, look at it here. We see these things and we say, I like it, I want it. It's the lust of the eyes. It will make me happy, the lust of the flesh. I can keep up with the Joneses and I'll increase my prestige amongst my peers. That's the pride of life. So we're bombarded with these things in this country. The new car, the bigger house, more shoes, more clothes, a prestigious position, and more money, even if that's the cost of our health and our family relationships, but we chase after them. And listen, listen carefully. It's not the possessing of these things or the acquisition of material things that's in question in the message this morning, but the Lord will condemn this, the amassing of these things, setting our hearts on these things so that our acknowledgement becomes clouded. It becomes misused or abused. So it's not having things. It's if we're setting our minds in them and looking to amass them or acquire them just to have them. Amen? And let me say this. Listen carefully. The Lord is not stating that poverty is necessary to enhance our spirituality. Do you hear me? You can be wealthy and still be on fire for God. So he's not saying. Throughout Scripture we see what? The Lord blessing, don't we? He blesses his people. Abraham was blessed. Isaac was blessed. Jacob was blessed. Solomon was blessed. And if you really want to look at it, Job was even blessed at the end of the book. He, God blessed him three times over. So God blesses his people. All right, but listen to this. Listen carefully. Not all of us will be blessed. It's at the Lord's discretion. So whatever he does bless us with, we take from him and we give him all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Read the end of Hebrews 11. Some were destitute. They lived in goatskins and sheepskins, living in caves. They loved the Lord, but they didn't receive the temporal blessings on this side of eternity. So it doesn't matter which end of the spectrum you're on. God blesses us, and as we'll see, with some really wonderful blessings. And only once, only once in all the scriptures in Mark 10, do we see Jesus actually telling somebody, go sell all your possessions and give them to the poor, the rich young ruler. And he wasn't saying that as a way for him to be. What he was saying it to him for is because his heart was bent on these things, and he knew it was the riches that were hindering him from coming and really serving God. So he says, get rid of them. Get rid of the idol out of your life. Then you'll be able to serve God wholeheartedly. Amen? But that's the only time. And to go on, what we do see throughout Scripture are certain principles that God does give us pertaining to our riches. Amen? We ought to, what, carry out and meet the needs of our families. We can also prepare for our posterity, for our children coming in the future. And also, what we're supposed to do is use those blessings to bless others. So as God blesses us, we can bless others with what our overflow is, yes? Or even from our need. Because God will meet our needs as we meet the needs of others. 
Listen to some of these scriptures. 1 Timothy 5.8, it says this, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Paul even goes on and says, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. So he's saying it's good. You will go out there and work. We're supposed to provide for our families. And then in Proverbs 6, 6 to 8, he gives us an example. It says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. He's saying the ant prepares. So we are supposed to be preparatory. We are supposed to, 1522 says this, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children, but a sinner's wealth is stored up for the righteous. He's saying it's good to prepare for your posterity, for those who are coming after you, for your children, your grandchildren. It's wise, it's wisdom. And in Proverbs 19.70 says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. And finally, in Proverbs 22.9, The generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. What he's saying, if you see these, meet the needs of your families, prepare for their future, and bless others. Bless others. Turn to uh, Matthew 25.35-40. It's one of the greatest passages about how the Lord looks at how we minister to others. In 35 it says, For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When do we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When do we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, the least of my brothers, you did for me. Lord, for those who don't know Jesus, and we do it as unto him, he says, whatever you do, you've done it as unto me, and we're building up our rewards and treasures in heaven. Amen? And listen, God's also telling us to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy what he blesses us with. He wants us to take the blessings that he's given us, yes, to meet the needs of the others, to prepare, but also to enjoy the fruits of our labor and the things that he does bless us with. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, 17. This is Paul speaking. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God. So he's saying, put your hope in God, right? But then he goes, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. So he's providing for us and blessing us for our enjoyment. Don't be a stick in the mud. Enjoy what God has blessed us with. Amen? Oh, my wife's looking at me saying, Amen, brother. When are we going out to dinner? All right. So, <laughs> No, but yes, we are to enjoy the things that the Lord blesses us with. I think, one of, for me, one of the greatest blessings when I go around next door and just look at all the, God's creation. What a great blessing right at our eyesight. And sometimes we pass right by it. So enjoy the, the simple blessings and the overflow of blessings that God gives us. Amen? So again, listen carefully. It's not having wealth or material possessions, right? But enjoying what God blesses with. Or it's not even, uh, he's against us saving up for a future generation, but he warns us. It's the chasing after and amassing of these treasures for the wrong reasons, because the Lord knows that the lure of the flesh can lure us into those and away from him. Amen? So we have to be careful. And so the Lord states this, do not store up treasures for yourselves on earth. And again, we have to look at this in the original language and in context to understand what the Lord's saying here. And in the original Greek, it can be read or rendered this, 
Do not treasure up treasures for yourself. In other words, don't just store up treasures to have treasures. Then you're just storing them up for yourself and you're not using them the way God has given them to you to bless others, to bless your family, or to enjoy them. You're just storing her up. That becomes the focus of our lives. Don't let the acquisition of more and more earthly goods be the driving force behind what we're using, the blessings the Lord bestowed upon us. And the term store up actually means to stockpile or hoard. It's like stockpiling or hoarding your goods or material blessings. Again, we are, are we uh, just using what the Lord blesses us to amass more and more and to satisfy what? The desires and lust of our own hearts and lives. Look at the word in the middle of Jesus' statement in that, in that verse of Scripture. It's the word yourself. Don't store up for yourself the blessings and treasures. What he's saying, don't focus on yourself, but focus on others. Focus on your family. Focus on those who are in need. Amen? And the fear is people that these things can become our idols, and we look to them, listen carefully, to describe our identity, we look to them to be the answer to our needs, right? And we, what happens? Their acquisition and protection of these things becomes a preoccupation for us. We're so worried about the things. We don't want to lose the things. And there's someone in this, te- in this congregation that gave a wonderful testimony how lost everything but loves the Lord and follows the Lord wholeheartedly. Amen? And what happens is we start to take our focus off of Christ, serving Him and others, and looking to him to be the one who meets our needs. Amen? Praise God. Listen to what the Apostle Paul stated in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Look at the news. Look at some of these what's going on with some of these guys with Jeffrey Epstein and all the things that people get into as they strive, the power hungry and the rich. And, he, and Paul goes on and says this. Now listen. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It's not the money. It's the love of money that, that these things fall, uh, fade away. People fall apart. Look what happened in the 20s during the Depression. What are people doing? They were jumping out of the windows. Or even now, oh, the stock market dropped 3,000 points. Well, is that where your hope is? Or is it in Christ and Him meeting your needs? Amen? And if you knew the reason why this is going on, you'd really faint. All right? But, all right, so we don't want them to become the driving force in our lives because what you're doing is building your lives on sinking sand and not on the rock. Because if you're in Christ, no matter what storm comes our way, He's got us in the palm of his hand and our life is built on the rock and not on sinking sand. Amen? Praise God. Praise the Lord. He's our firm foundation, not the things of this world. And that is why the Lord says that these things can vanish, they can disappear. And he labels the point by saying, moths and rust can destroy and thieves can break in and steal. Do you realize that the things we have here on earth will not last? They will fade away. Cause depreciate. Houses deteriorate. Clothes clothes get old. Do do they not? Come on now. All right. These things deteriorate. They depreciate. They won't last forever. But the things of God will. And then I put in here, and I know there's going to be one little smart aleck in here says, oh, yeah, Pastor. They're still around. They may be, but the people who built them or had them ain't. They're gone. 
And you know what? There's going to come a time, even if things that you think are permanent here on earth, the Lord is going to consume by fire, and the old order of things will pass away, and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth. Amen? So sooner or later, whatever's left behind is going to disappear. And the Lord will now teach us where our true treasure should be. That we should store up or amass these things because they will be secure and will last forever. Look at verse 20. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And please let me begin with this. There is a treasure we should cherish every day. Every day. A treasure that can never be taken away. Do you hear me? Never taken away. And it's the one that the Father freely gave to us. And it's the one that the Son of God purchased by his substitutionary death on the cross. Do you realize we have salvation in Christ? The best treasure that any human being on this side of eternity can, can acquire. No matter where we are on the wealth line, poverty, wealthy, if you're in Christ, you have the greatest treasure that any man or woman could ever have. Amen? Praise the Lord. And listen, can't work for it, can't buy it. It's only by faith. Faith into the redemption. And isn't that something that people on this side of eternity, they're working, they're striving, they're going for more, 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 more. And the greatest treasure is here, receive. It's amazing, the difference between God and man. Family, if we only have this treasure in the here and now, then we have more than any human being can acquire or amass in this side of eternity. Amen? Listen, there will be many millionaires that will stand before Jesus Christ spiritually bankrupt. And all they amassed on this side of eternity will mean bupkis. It will amount to nothing. But as I put in here, just an analogy or a word, think of that shut-in woman, spiritual woman of God who doesn't get out, but every day, She's praying for the saints. She's praying for the church, right? She's praying. She's a prayer warrior. She's amassing more riches in heaven than any millionaire can amass on earth because she's doing what God called her to do when she's seeking God, amen, and praying. Praise God. But listen, Christian, our heavenly treasures don't just end with our salvation. The Lord promised us in his word that we're going to receive rewards in heaven. So that's where our focus should be, to build up those treasures. Not that we do to receive the treasures of God. We do it as unto the Lord, but he is going to bless us. Listen to Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Do the Lord, not for human masters. So even when the boss isn't around, do your job. Since you know that you will be receive, ready? Receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It's the Lord Christ you are serving. So when we live our lives unto the Lord to bring him glory and honor and do what he's called us to do, we're building up an inheritance in heaven, rewards in heaven, amen? And 1 Peter 3 and 5, I hope this is blessing you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. It can't fade. What we do is unto the Lord will be there for eternity. Amen? Praise God. And then uh, 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Those are the qualities of God. 
Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So when we do it God's way, we inherit a blessing. What those rewards are going to be, what those blessings are going to be on the other side, I don't know. But if man could produce all the things that we want to acquire here, could you imagine what the eternal God is going to bless us with? Beyond our comprehension. Beyond our comprehension. And all those things we read in Matthew 25, I went to the prison, I gave things. Again, we don't do them to get, oh, good, you got another little reward in heaven. We do them as unto the Lord. But we'll be blessed for them if the motive of our hearts are right. And then finally, in Revelation 22:12, it says this, Look, I'm coming soon. And I believe that's a true statement. My reward is with me, and I'll give to each person according to what they have done. When we stand before the Lord, we will not be judged for our salvation. That's the white throne judgment. But when we stand before the Lord, we will be evaluated for the, how we use the gifts, talents, finances that God has blessed us with. Did you use them as unto the Lord, or did you bury them in the ground? And that's where your rewards will come from. Were you faithful? Were you faithful? Family, doing acts of righteousness for his glory and honor and for the expansion of his kingdom, suffering for Christ's sake, forgiving others and emulating Christ in our lives, they all carry with them promises of eternal rewards and blessings. In other words, living for him. Where is our focus? Where is our focus? Because there, listen to me, moth and rust cannot destroy and the thief can't break in and steal. You want to know why? That thief will be spending his eternity in the lake of fire. You hear me? Satan will not be able to touch you. Praise the Lord. Child of God, you cannot be snatched out of the Father's hand, nor can the eternal blessings that you're storing up in Christ, for Christ, be taken from you. They're eternal. They're in God's hands. So the question for each one of us this morning, which of these treasures do we find ourselves storing up? Temporal or eternal? And only you and I and God know the answers to that question. You have to search your own heart. And this question that I just asked you gives us insight into the Lord's next statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Family, there's a unique correlation between the treasures we store up and the condition of our heart. If we are seeking to amass earthly treasures, it's a good indicator that our hearts are bent on temporal things. If we're looking to store up eternal treasures, it's a good indicator that our hearts are bent on the Lord. Amen? Praise God. Family, fix your eyes on Christ, on his eternal treasures, and don't let your hearts be moved by the lures of these temporal possessions. It can be very easy to do. Not only do we live in the United States, we live in New York, where it's like the financial capital of the world. If he, Jesus, is truly the treasure of your life, your first love, then fix your eyes on him and don't be detoured by chasing after the things of this world that are going to disappear. Fix your eyes on him. Use the gifts and talents he's given you, use the time he's given you, and use the blessing he has to glorify him, extend his kingdom, witness to the lost, and to bless others. And now the Lord will go on in verse 22, and he actually gives us more insight into this, and no pun intended, as you see when I read it, but I'm going to use the NASB because it really stays true to the original language. Just an aside, I talked to my son Thomas, and he said, Dad, the NASB is a very good version because it does stay true to like the original Greek and the original language. So I may be changing uh, to that uh, portion of Scripture. All right, it says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. 
So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. And this is just an extension of what he's talking about in the heart. Church, anatomically, your eyes is what you see with. It's what allows light to come in so that things are illuminated to us and what the brain does with it, flips it around and so that we can see images. But if we close our eyes around us, what happens? Things become dark. And if we open them, things are illuminated to us. The eye, if you will, is the lamp of the body and it's the only channel of light where it can come into the body. And so as the eye is to the body, so is the heart to the soul. The heart is the window to the soul because it's in our hearts where spiritual truth is illuminated. That's where God will come and plant that seed, and that's where truth is illuminated. And we hear it with our ears, perceive it in our mind, but it's we have to accept it in our hearts if we're going to believe the gospel and the truth of God's word. This is where it's made clear. This is where the Holy Spirit plants his fruit and where he resides and illuminates truth to us is in our hearts. Amen? Listen to Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and your mouth that professes faith, and you're saved. So we hear the word, we perceive the word, but we have to accept it in our hearts as the truth. And it, don't, it doesn't stop at salvation. When we're taught the word of God, are we going to receive it into our hearts as God's word in truth and then Abide by it. Abide by it. Just as you grasp salvation and want to receive eternal life, then grasp the rest of God's word and put it into practice. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. Through the Holy Spirit, as he illuminates truth, he gives us the grace, the wisdom, and the strength to take his word and put it into practice. Because in the flesh, no way. Bless my enemies? Yes, if it's a small piece of lead, but other than that, no thank you. But that we're called as Christians to do things that are contrary to our flesh. But this is God's call on our life, amen? And we can do it because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And he illuminates that truth, and he helps us to apply it, amen? Praise God. And I want, I want you to see something here. Jesus uses the word, the eye, singular. And the word clear in the original Greek means single-minded. So he's saying, with the eye, you'll see what is clear. In other words, he's telling us, a single-minded devotion to one master or one treasure or the other. And what he's saying as Christians, our single-minded devotion should be to Jesus Christ. That our focus is on him, his will, what he's called us to do, the gifts and talents he's given us to use. Our lives should be focused on him. Romans 12 says we're to be living sacrifices for him. That all that we are should be singly-minded focused on Christ. And he goes on and says, if your spiritual eye is good, and we're seeing clearly, then our hearts will have a single-minded devotion to God, the truth of his word, his will, and what he wants from us in our lives. Listen to Colossians 3, 1 and 2. It says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Listen to this. Set your hearts on things above, your minds on things above, and not on earthly things. If we are devoted, single-mindedly devoted to Christ, our hearts and minds will be focused on him and eternal things and not the things of this world. 
We are called to be his witnesses. He puts us in different places because that's one of the things he's asked us to do, commanded us to do. Go and make disciples. Share my gospel. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Be molded into the image of my son. Become more like Jesus so that what? The world will see Christ in you and more people will come to know him. Amen? The focus of our spiritual, our heart, must be singly, mightily devoted to Christ if we are to follow and serve him unwaveringly. Yes? All right. And in most situations, for every action is an opposite and equal reaction. Just as if the eye is good, we'll follow the Lord. We'll look at verse 23. If your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Family, if your eye is bad, whether diseased, damaged, or in the extreme, if you're blind, you ain't going to see too well. And if you're blind, you ain't going to see a thing, right? Everything will become dark. Everything will be limited or cut off. Church, if our hearts become caught up with the pursuit of the things of this world and our single-mindedness begins to shift from spiritual to temporal, then our folk fixed on the world. So we have to keep our eyes on the Lord. Such things as our prayer life, individual and definitely corporate, our reading, meditating on the word, our attendance in the fellowship becomes secondary. If we aren't single-mindedly devoted for Christ, all of a sudden your prayer life won't, eh, I can pray, I can't pray. Oh, I'll read the word, oh, I'll miss a couple of days, but I went back to it. Church attendance becomes, ah, you know, if it's a nice day out and I want to go to the beach, or if it's, you know, the summer's coming, or, you know, I want to go apple picking in the fall, eh, my kids got sports, eh, church attendance becomes secondary. What does that tell you about your hearts? Hmm? what happens, really sad, our sensitivity to the conviction and illumination of truth by the Holy Spirit will become clouded. And instead of being single-minded, we'll be double-minded. And our focus will be in two places, and that can't happen. And listen, the word bad in the, Greek, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, it actually means evil eye. And what that meant in uh, Jewish colloquialism, the evil eye meant somebody who was stingy or a miser. So if they said you were bad or had an evil eye, it means that you were hoarding up treasures for yourself and you wouldn't share with others. Now, if you look and go through the Old Testament, they were called to minister to those who didn't have a need. Leave the fields. Don't glean it to its full so the poor and needy can come in. Help the alien living among you. But the stingy person, the person with the evil eye who was for himself. Church, read Matthew 23. How many times does the Lord call the Pharisees and scribes blind guys? Blind fools. You want to know why? Because they became spiritually blind. They were more concerned about power, wealth, and suppressing the people under their authority than they were a community of the Jewish people. Their eyes were fixed on the things of this world, and they perverted what God had called them to be. So the Lord calls them blind guides, blind fools, because they were chasing after the wrong thing. And that's why the Word tells us in 1 John 2, 15-16, it says this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, are not from the Father but from the world. If you chase after those things, they're not of the Father. They're of the world. The things of the Father, those things that you do as unto the Lord when we emulate Christ. And that's what our rewards will be when we honor him. Church, listen carefully. It's with our eyes that we gaze upon those things that we find what? Attractive, aesthetic, desirable, and important. And what we tend to focus on 
more often than not, tells us the desires of our heart. If we're focusing on the things out there, what does that tell us about our hearts? But if we're focusing on serving the Lord and doing things as unto the Lord, that tells us about our hearts, where our focus is, where we're single-mindedly devoted to. And so he finishes up in verse 24. He says, No one can serve two masters, for they will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and wealth. And the term is serve. Not have, serve. Family, just as there must be an allegiance to either pursuit of heavenly treasures or earthly treasures, one can't be in light and darkness simultaneously. You can't serve two different masters at the same time. It's impossible. And why? Well, we have to understand what this word means here. When it says master, it's the word kurios or lord. It's also used for the word slave owner. And a slave could only have one master. He came under the complete authority and submission to one master. You could never be a part-time slave. Well, I'll go to Junior's household and be a slave for until 9 to 12. Then I'll come over to Senior's household. No, that slave owner owned you completely. And you couldn't sell yourself out or go anywhere else. Totally under his authority, totally under his submission. So it, um, Jesus is saying here, you can only have one master. You can only be a doulos, a bondservant, to one master. You can't have a foot in each world. For each one of us is this. Who is our Lord? Who is our master? Where is our allegiance? And it must be to only one, for no one can serve two masters, just as you can't walk in two different directions at the same time. Try it. Your body will tear in half. You can't do it, so you can't serve two masters. And family, listen carefully. There are two masters that we can choose. There are. We can serve the Lord Jesus, capital L, or we can serve the Lord Small, who is the ruler of the kingdom of the air here, who is Satan. Those are the only two camps. Those are the only two masters. And we have to choose which one we're going to serve. That is why in both the Old and New Testament, repeated, 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 love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Our God is a jealous God, and he wants our affection Totally. He doesn't want us sold out to the bells or the other idols that can crop up in our lives. And they're out there. And they come sometimes in the form of all the things that we see. There's no wiggle room. There's no wiggle room. Jesus explains that we must hate one who is the evil one and despise his ways and love the other who is our Lord. By walking in his ways, keeping his commandments, right? And going on with him in his will and serving him. And what? And if Jesus, whom we love, is our first love, listen to Romans 12, 9b. It says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. The Lord Jesus hates what is evil. He is perfectly good. And that word good means morally perfect. So he wants us to become like him and be morally perfect. Christian, you and I have to ask ourselves, if we call ourselves Christians, is Jesus my Lord? Is he my Lord? Am I devoted to him and him alone, to his will and his word? Are his priorities my priorities? Or am I trying to serve two masters by having one foot in the world? Are my choices and decisions based on my relationship with him and his word? Or are they based on my own desires, the lures of the evil one and the philosophies of this world? Again, only you and I and God know the answer to that question. But that's something you may want to meditate in your heart. 
And let me end this morning with a wonderful description of this concept of serving two masters. I read this. It said one of John MacArthur's commentary. Listen to what it says. Quote, The orders of these two masters, Jesus and the evil one, are diametrically opposed and cannot coexist. The one commands us to walk by faith and the other demands us to walk by sight. The one calls us to humble, to be humble and the other to be proud. The one set our minds on things above and the other to set them on things below. One calls us to walk in the light while the other calls us to walk in the pain and eternal and the other to look at things that are seen and temporal. End quote. Diametrically opposed. Can't serve two masters. It's either one or the other. And the question for each one of us is, who are we choosing to serve? Where are we storing up treasures? Are we walking in light or in darkness? Are we submitting ourselves to Christ, his word, and his will, or to the enemy of our soul, our, our, our own will and the pleasures of this world? Because as the Lord states, he says this, you can't serve both God and wealth, both God and money, both God and the things of this world, one or the other. We must love one and despise the other. And as John MacArthur wrote, and I do agree with him, that these two masses are diametrically opposed. And each one will take us in a different life uh, direction. The Lord unto eternal blessing. Lucifer into eternal condemnation. Amen? And where our hearts are is where we're going to spend eternity. It's your choice, my choice, which master we are going to serve. What treasures we will amass and where the focus of our heart is going to be. So I have down my famous quote from Indiana Jones, so please choose wisely. And I pray that your choice, my choice, is to be a doulos of our Lord Jesus, who's perfect in all. He loves his church, and his best interest he has in mind for us. He's not looking to take from us. He's not looking to uh, put us us down. His best interest is for his children, for his ones he calls brothers and sisters. So why would you want to serve one who's going to drag you into the the pits of hell, or into the sewers of this world and take you out of relationship with him. It's not so with our other master, the small M. He only came to keep a sticker I saw on Bobby Bell's uh, truck or car many years ago. Matt, if you can cue that. It says, is it up there? No Jesus, no life. No Jesus, no life. Gabish? There's the sermon in a nutshell, all right? So it's good. And I have down here, choose ye who you will serve today. And I pray that like Joshua, we'll all respond like Joshua did. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And parents, we can only present. We can only be examples for our children, but they reach a certain age and they make choices. But give them the opportunity. Let them see Christ in your marriage, Christ in your home, so that they can choose. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, that each soul here would be eternally minded and not temporally minded. That, Lord God, as unto you, we would look to store up treasures in heaven and to use the blessings and treasures you've given here on earth to glorify you, to meet the needs of our family and families, Lord, to bless others, So again, that your name is exalted and glorified, Lord. And Father, that our eyes would be open 
Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, that you would illuminate truth and that we wouldn't walk in darkness, that you would open up our hearts to your word, Holy Spirit, that we would put it into practice, my God, and live by the standards of your word, the commands of your word, and by your will. And Lord God, we will be blessed. We will be blessed in drawing closer to you and avoiding the consequences of the destructive choices that can be made on this side of eternity. And Lord Jesus, that you would be our true Lord and Master, that our eyes would be fixed, single-mindedly fixed on you, and we wouldn't be drawn away by the other Master, small m, the one who is the, has power over the kingdom of the air of this world, that Lord God, we would serve you wholeheartedly and keep our eyes fixed on you, my God. Lord, open up our eyes, open up our hearts, May our treasures be in you. Father God, I pray for each one that on that day we will hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant, enter into your rest. Lord, when we see the blessings that you have for us in heaven, I don't even think we'll look back for a second to think about what we've moved away from on earth. It'll be wonderful, glorious, and most of all, you will be there, and we will see you face to face. Lord, bless these people. Bless us, O God, and help us to bring this gospel to others that they can come to know you and have the same insight and the same hope. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.